this is Andrea. You can call me Andrea or Drea, and I am the host of Love and Coven podcast. This podcast has been years in the making, so I am just thrilled to bring you this. Funny enough, this podcast episode is on self-doubt, and as I listened back to it, of course, self-doubt crept up. I was fighting a cold during it, so I'm very nasally. I think I clear my throat and cough and just have some gross sounds going on throughout it. (laughs) But you know what? I decided that I am going to let it be. This is a wonderful conversation with my friend and I want to bring it to you raw and authentic. I do want to make a correction. I talk about my teacher, Susana Barkataki, during this episode, and I accidentally said she is South Indian instead of South Asian, and I did want to make that correction because it's an important distinction to make. But besides that, um, here's the episode for you all. Here we go, here we go. Hello, my people. Welcome. This is Love and Coven, and I am your host, Andrea, or Andrea. You can also call me Jerea. My pronouns are she, her, ella. I'm an Afro-Peruana raised in sunny South Florida, now living in Ute and Paiute lands, which are now called Salt Lake City, Utah. I am a yoga and mindfulness teacher. I'm an embodiment guide a dancer, a rock climber, and a lifelong student. By trade, I'm also a recruitment sourcer, and I have a deep background in both human resources and administration, and I am really excited to be here today with my co-host, Mariana. Hello, hello. My name is Mariana. I go by she, they, ellas. I'm a global public health student at NYU and a vaccine equity outreach coordinator in New York State. I'm an American Dominican poet of the diaspora, a yoga instructor, and rock climbing rock climber in New York City currently and living between New York City and Salt Lake City. So I'm really excited to be here talking to Andrea. It feels like I'm home. And I also just want to shout out to Rosie, who's a linked friend of ours, which we met. Rosie and I were wilderness guides together in the Uintas and we were also roommates. And and now that I'm here with Andrea, I'm just excited to dive into like all the things that we have in common and, and just be grateful for this opportunity. So thank you, Andrea. Yes, and first off, I did not know that you and Rosie were both wilderness guides and roommates. That's amazing. (laughs) So Rosie linked us, and I met Rosie at the climbing gym. She had just... She had just complimented the stickers on my water bottle and we sparked up conversation, right? I had like a resist deportation stickers that she commented on. I love it. Well, Rosie is an amazing person and a great friend of ours. Um, They're doing their biodynamic craniosacral therapist and just an overall badass that stays bringing people of color together. I love to take some time to shout out Rosie's work. Um, Rosie's website is Curativo Craniosacral and I will have that on the show notes for you if you'd like to do some work with Rosie and 
and have her help guide your healing. Yes, yes. Shout out to Rosie. Woo! <laughs> Beautiful. Well, as you may have guessed it from the episode title, this conversation is about self-doubt. And it felt very right to start this topic with this topic because it's the reason it's taken so long to start this podcast. Almost two years, I believe. <laughs> However, I see now that sharing is healing and stories like ours deserve to be heard and witnessed and take up space. And my hope is that this will resonate with others and that it will be as healing for the people that vibe with it as much as it will be for us. And for the people that haven't experienced it, maybe I can post some, some needed questions about how we value belonging within a community. And just to give some insight, the Oxford Dictionary definition of self-doubt is a lack of confidence in oneself and one's ability. For me personally, self-doubt is very internal. When it comes to my podcast and my business, for example, it poses the questions who would want to hear me? Am I qualified enough? Will what I have to say have value? Who am I to help? Who am I to make my voice heard? It also shows up in not feeling enough, not feeling like I have enough certifications, time, money, experience, and sometimes even feeling like I don't have the proper words to convey my message. That's kind of how it shows up for me, I love to know, Mariana, how does self-doubt show up for you? Well, self-doubt, thank you for asking, first of all. I haven't had a deep conversation about this in a while, and, and I think self-doubt always or sometimes can start in thought patterns, right? And and how we, how we were raised to see self-doubt practiced as well. So for me, it's manifested in community mostly um, and when I'm alone isolated from others I spend a lot of time considering who am I and how can I change right so I think when it comes to yoga for instance right and rock climbing and and living in Salt Lake City in particular where most of the spaces are white heteronormative and white male dominated it makes you cons- it has you considering like who are you and and who are you going to become within this kind of structure um society is is putting you in so i think for me sharing my stories um what's come out is that i have a history of self doubt that may be invisible um and at the same time i have a history of self doubt that is very obvious right so i think when it comes to sharing space with others, um, I see self-doubt a lot more clearly. Um, when I first moved to Salt Lake City, um, culture shock was a big thing for me. I never thought I would be saying that coming from New York City and, and then doing some traveling, but I don't think I've ever experienced living and interacting in dominantly all white spaces um, the way I did in Salt Lake City, I became more silent um, and I would call it deep listening. When in reality, I was silent because the dominant voices were very overpowering. So my self-doubt um, would overpower that. 
right? Um, I was finding ways to trace achievement, for instance, like everything that I had done in New York City that felt good and and I felt accomplished and, and made me feel who I was um, changed when I came to Salt Lake City because I was in a different location. I was surrounded by different people. I was surrounded by different values and beliefs and, and social norms that, that were not ones that I came from, right? So feelings of inadequacy um, came up for me, not feeling enough, even within my careers, Mm -hmm. feeling like I had to outperform white women um, in particular, because there was this silent competition with them, whether it was talked about, whether we all shared an agreement that we don't want that kind of dynamic within a space, it was still present. It was just unspoken. And that's what made me, a woman of color, uncomfortable, is that I don't have the space to share these thoughts because I know I'm not going to be understood, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how it started for me in Salt Lake City. And, and I've had a few different jobs in Salt Lake City. So thinking about self-doubt is not just personal, right? But it's also how we value and how we see and how we practice belonging, even within communities who do not share your same views. Mm, Yes. Right? So I don't know how it was for you, Andrea, because I know you're coming from Florida. Something I lived there, but it was so different. I do not want to live in Florida. (laughs) Coming from Florida, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you experienced any of this culture shock yourself. Yes, definitely, definitely. And it's so interesting because when I first visited Salt Lake, I think I was just so drawn in by the mountains and the landscapes and how beautiful it was that, of course, I realized that there was not many people that looked like me, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I also had a good friend there and had met some cool people. So I was like, oh, I'll just bring the spice. It'll be it'll be fun. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and I really didn't realize how big of an impact it had to be in so many places that I just really didn't feel like I fit in at. And you mentioned this idea of competition. I definitely felt that. Um for me, it was, it unfortunately became much more of a comparison game of me comparing myself to the people around me. Like, wow, this, all of these people uh, have degrees. They are in their careers already. I don't know what the hell I want to do. At the time I was cleaning Airbnbs, like <laughs> when I first moved in there. And, and then before that, I was working at a five-star, five-diamond resort as an admin assistant. So, you know, I had a pretty nice job and I went from that to cleaning Airbnbs as an Airbnb host, which is not below me by any chance, but being around people that were in their careers and in their degrees, it definitely made me feel like I wasn't enough. Like my career wasn't enough, like I didn't have enough qualifications and I jumped around from job to job a lot with that same feeling. And now looking back on it, one of the jobs that I enjoyed the most I was a at a I was a receptionist at a at like a car dealership place and they were just so sweet to me and they were so thankful for my help and what something I realize now is I felt like I belonged there the most and it was one of the most diverse workplaces I was at 
there were people that spoke Spanish, like the, all the cartex I would be able to speak Spanish with. And um, there were like some Polynesian places, uh, people there. And yeah, that was one of the places I felt most welcomed at. And where I started doing some of this healing work, um, you said it, you, you said it well yourself that you called it a deep listening um, and you were really just silent. I spent so, so much time in my room alone, just crying and journaling, not knowing who or where to reach out to for help because though I have a very loving family and a great support system, I wasn't even sure exactly how to put my feelings into words and if anyone in my system would actually know how to support me in it you know and I think there's also this idea in our society of you know of independence that we right that we can figure things out on our own especially as an immigrant woman you know my parents um it's they worked so hard and they did everything they could for us and I just had this idea within me like oh I'll just keep working hard and I'll just you know keep persevering through it and that's kind of how it first showed up for me just sitting inwards a lot between a lot of comparison so I think we like I so I think what I'm trying to what I'm learning now is that I'm going through this cycle. Like I'm going through this cycle of self-doubt and I'm finding that there are things in common in every cycle. I'm in a space, predominantly white, and if it's not predominantly white, then the framework is dominantly whiteness, right? This Mm -hmm. idea that, that there is a structure and a form and a way to be that is acceptable within the larger society and that will abandon any other looks, right? Like we don't have to question or disrupt anything. And that's what I mean by whiteness and frameworks, right? So I feel that in these cycles, I've been in these spaces where it's dominantly this and I am not dominantly that, Hmm. right? I am... In some places, an Afro-Latina I'm accepted as. In other places, I'm just Latina. In other places, I'm seen as a white Latina. And in other places, I'm accepted as a black Latina. And all of these have, you know, their larger conversations and, and, and their critiques. But at the same time, in a white space where we are not looking at or rejecting the conversations that people of color want to have, is being ignored. It's being ignored. It's seen as unnecessary, right? So we go home to these dark places. We go home feeling alone. We go home thinking that the healing work is alone. And it's Mm. not. It's actually communal. Mm, Yes. Because our thoughts are not alone. Our thoughts are coming from somewhere, Mm -hmm. right? I think you and I, we, we share this unique experience that we've lived multiple transitions Right? And the lessons that we learn in these transitions is to not make the same mistakes over and over. But there are things that do repeat, right? That do not have solutions at an individual level. Mm-hmm. We can partake at an individual level, but it's not the solution. And that is the systemic problems, 
when we're working in spaces that do not have structures to alleviate and, and face and help and, and, and teach not just white people and white passing people or people within a white structure, but it's for people of color. Do we feel comfortable here? Who can we talk to? Who can we trust? Are we going home alone questioning our value or our position or our belonging in these spaces? And it's most hurtful, I don't know for you, but like when it's in a space that is about your passion, mm, yes, yoga, rock climbing in particular, a white male dominating sport, right? And also still a white woman dominating sport as well, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing black and brown and indigenous people climbing, it's rising but it is not at the proportions and the levels and degrees that it's still dominating within the white community. So what is gonna happen? We're gonna see organizations and practices and implementations and systems that mimic the same belief and value systems of the target audience its population is, right? White, male, heteronormative. So going home, I'm not white male, I'm still a Latina. Mm -hmm. So thinking about self-doubt within this context, I think, um, is valuable. It's really valuable. Definitely. Yes, yes. And, you know, going back on the idea of healing, not just being individual, but being communal, I want to talk about yoga because we are both <laughs> <laughs> yoga teachers, instructors, and kind of what that looked like for us in Salt Lake City because yoga in and of itself the word means to yoke to unite and that's what I love so much about the practice right that connection connection to the body to the mind to the spirit to the self etc and I always knew I loved yoga I always knew that it made me feel so good within my body it made me so much more calm relaxed and at peace but for some reason, I couldn't find a sense of belonging within any of the yoga studios that I went to around here. And um, I had a, I have a friend that's a yoga teacher that would teach a really nice class and I really enjoyed it and I would go to it. But there was just something in the space that didn't make me really want to come back consistently, you know? And looking back on it, unfortunately, I mean, this is for the majority of yoga out west, but <clears throat> particularly within Salt Lake City, because it is very homogenous, mm -hmm. yoga is a very thin, white, able-bodied sport, yeah. and very much predominantly white. Yeah. And now it makes complete sense why I didn't feel like I belonged there was no one really trying to give me a very warm welcome or chatting me up after class. There was no one else that was brown. There was no one else that even had an average sized body. Everyone was so thin. I am not even plus size. I'd call myself maybe mid-size, but I didn't even see any mid-size bodies. Everyone was thin, athletic, muscular. So it makes sense I didn't feel it, feel like I fit in. I just didn't see myself there. I didn't see myself represented. Um, I'm wondering how you felt in the yoga spaces within Salt Lake. So that I, I love this question because it was a journey. 
it was a journey that I still look back on and and I'm still learning from. I I, w- I was open when I came to Salt Lake City. I was like, okay, like I'm gonna find a studio. I'm gonna make some friends on my on my off shifts when I, you know, when I'm not in the wilderness. I've been to 12 different studios, and not one did I feel was my home. Not one did I feel was inviting um, to expand community. Um, I just didn't. I didn't feel that, you know. Um, so I decided to go get my 200 hour in India. I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to change the pace. I'm going to change my context. I'm going to change my environment. I'm going to change my location and see what opens up for me. Um, it was a drastic difference. It was a drastic difference. Yoga became less communal and more individual. And when this transition happened, I became more isolated because I was learning in solitude. I was learning by myself. I didn't have mirrors, right? And I think that's what yoga is also about, is bringing people together to gain new perspective together, whether it's through the body, through a meditation, or through any kind of guide, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for me specifically, a lot of this structure of this is healing and this is going to heal you is is you can hear it in the way people guide. Mm. It wasn't for my body. Three breaths was not for my body, right? Mm. Or taking this up here was not for my body or this lunge was not for my body. So I think if I was in spaces where I was with people who look like me, who where the structure was different, where we were sitting in different ways and not just in these roles where we're looking at each other, creating a space within that environment, perhaps, that invites me to feel at home and invites others. I think that's the kind of space I want to be in. So I I, I thought it was an alert for me. Like, I want to do yoga with people. And now I'm feeling like I have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. Like silent, I'm feeling like I'm not able you know, and, and it was difficult. It was difficult to accept um, different styles of instructors when no style was a mirror to the challenges that I was facing and going to yoga for um, relief, right, or for understanding. And when we think about, and, and you know, you probably know about this too, Andre, but when we think about yoga within its context, there is religious context within yoga there is political context within yoga it comes from a specific place there are stories and archives of this specific philosophy and practice that i felt disconnected from in these white dominant spaces that was not honorable that is something i wanted to touch on too because it's not just looking around and not seeing anyone that looks like you because in a certain way you know it's it was a little bit to ex- be expected at times too because yeah. we do live in a predominantly white city you know and that's not that's so sad. <laughs> i know which is which is sad but um you know it, it's it wasn't only that it was also like you said the style and the structure because the way that i've been taught yoga and the way that i continue to learn it um i was taught through yoga assets in a 
scholarship for black indigenous and people of color so everyone i was practicing with was a person of color which was one just so so beautiful and such a wonderful experience to be held in but two i've also learned about embracing yoga's roots through susana barkataki uh, in yoga assets i learned through denise Struess, who's a wonderful teacher in the area but susana barkataki is an south indian woman south indian and american woman and she teaches how to teach yoga within a cultural appreciative way right not appropriative and when we look at the way that people are teaching here there is no mention of how important the breath is of like dropping into your body of starting with an intention it's like we just get right into the practice and let's go and let's sweat and i'm like am i in an exercise class or are we you know or are we actually trying to seek a more meditative state which is what the yoga is really about and where are the mentions of the ethics and principles within yoga where's the mention of where it comes from right there is none of that and like you said the spiritual aspects of it the political aspects susana even talks about yoga as a form of social justice yes yes right Oh gosh, so like this brings me to the Niyama Ishvara Pranidhana, Pranidhana, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning to dedicate and devote and and to surrender um, ultimately um, to the individual ego, right? To God, which is, it's, it's a hard conversation to have if you don't have, you know, a history with a relationship with this idea or concept of God right or universe it depends on where you come from the words that that you feel connected to to create understanding with and and that niyama for me has to do with living my truth and i would think about this niyama going into yoga studios constantly and during my 300 hour yoga certification online and i got to focus on that term a lot more and i realized that it's a process and that not everyone is in the same process or journey. However, it is not an excuse to not be held accountable to being open for change and difference. Mm -hmm. So living my truth and surrendering this individual ego had to do with looking at myself and asking the difficult questions right, about change and, and challenges, for instance. Am I ready to evolve from everything that I've known, whether it's culturally, my upbringing, my environment, right? Mm-hmm. Ideas or values that I've, I've been connected to over time. Am I, am I ready to let that go to recreate a shared experience with people? Mm. Am I willing to do that, right? And I feel that in, a, in many of the white dominating spaces that I've been in, I have not felt that. I have, I have felt that I've needed to retrieve back to the parts of me that I know for comfort. Mm-hmm. Because opportunity or, or being within spaces that expand imagination, right, is not there. And when I think back to my culture, it's colorful. We mm-hmm. laugh, we yes. dance, 
right? Like catching your breath is not just in meditation, but perhaps a dance. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right? And being open to maybe playing with structure. Mm-hmm. That space of imagination and that idea of surrender is so beautiful. I love that niyama as well. And I feel like we could talk about yoga for hours. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to do another episode <laughs> just around these topics alone. Yes, I would love I would love to share what I learned with some of my teachers, my beloved teachers. Yes, but something I wanted to talk about real quick with the idea of surrender is um, at least the way I was thought, taught through Susana Barkataki as well, is that the beauty of yoga, though it has this mention, you know, from different religi- religious teachings and has played a part in so many different religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikh- Sikhism, it still does not um, prescribe itself to one single religion alone so that's the beauty of it you know surrender it could be a surrender to god if that's what you believe in but it could also be a surrender to the universe it could be a surrender to of the ego as you mentioned and that idea of leaving it up for interpretation too is i think also beautiful and speaks to that place of space of imagination that you were talking about too yeah that that is lacking here yes which i think helps with when we're thinking about self-doubt when i have a space for imagination self-doubt there's not a lot of room for self-doubt yes because what we're doing is living within authenticity imagination Mm. creates that opportunity within us which is already there we have it like imagination exists and everyone and everything and us constantly it's tapping into it and and letting it flourish bloom and 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 constantly that's the hard part right when we're bombarded with with work this idea of hard work and productivity is there room for imagination we leave it in second grade we think that it's elementary to think about you know the fruits of imagination but actually it creates a space for healing or a remedy for a wound right because healing is also not absolute i will never say i am healed definitely right because it's similar to it's very similar to saying i am saved it's very similar to saying that i have solved but the truth is that with change and with evolving there's always going to be something to face Mm-hmm. whether it's joy, happiness, sadness, or rage, like something to surrender will always exist because we have personal lives. And community, when it comes to self-doubt, provides a space for that contemplation to happen within reciprocity, making sure that we're not harming others, making sure that we're non-violent to ourselves and to others because our actions impact others. Mm-hmm. And that's our link. That's our belonging part. That's our accountability part. That's how we close the gap. And that's what I say as a woman of color is equity. Mm. It's looking at all the factors that play within this seed, right, of self-doubt that you and I have been talking about. It's not a diagnostic for me. I did not go, you know, to a therapist to ask if I, I, if I have self-doubt issues. Actually, I've known this for a long time, 
I've been living within a society that creates doubt. And not only creates doubt, but profits off of it. Profits off, right? Ooh. This hapless um, lens of yes. keeping people feeling a certain way so they can continue performing a certain way. Mm. And I think as a community of color, we have a lot to say in that sector. So much. <laughs> and you know, as an embodiment guide, I talk a lot about how we live in a society that profits off of us being disembodied, right? Yeah. Yes. always telling us that we're not thin enough we need to buy this we're, we don't have enough of that we don't we need more of this other thing right so it's no I mean it's no surprise that we are the way we are that we have so much self-doubt that we are so disembodied when the systems around us are literally making their money and thriving off of yeah. us doing so right and you you know like and i know we want to touch on this later but i think it, it also fits here that this covid 19 pandemic has exposed that facet mm, of yeah. disparity and inequity within our communities because having to be isolated having to be quarantined having to live within this dynamic of constant change and new data and new research and rebuilding trust as we go consistently with medical professionals right considering all of that what have we learned during this pandemic in isolation right i saw a lot there there was a big transition from a lot of community to individual perspectives this idea of healing alone and I saw this a lot on social media, right? Yoga, how to do this alone, which is wonderful, but we wanna make sure as a community, and not just a community, but as a woman of color within a community, I look for community help. I look for community support. Yes. So healing is very communal for me. And that was one part of the pandemic that was very hard to live. And that can create confusion about what does it look like to create equitable societies within even yoga and rock climbing. Right. So this transition, similar to the culture shock in Salt Lake City that we experience, do we want this to look like this in the future? Isolated, separated, individual, right? That produces these ideas of constant independence, values independence over community, values productivity over leisure, and, and values profit <laughs> over living in optimal well-being hmm. when we're stuck in this cycle of productivity is there space for imagination i love that question that mariana poses and imagination as a part of healing i feel like can be so potent I know I personally work with a lot of visualization in my personal practices and I also love incorporating it into sessions with the folks that I work with. So I wanted to leave you with that question. And uh, this is all for part one of this two-part episode series. 
On the next part, we'll talk about how the pandemic has played a part in further affecting our self-doubt and ways in which we can work through it. So I hope you'll stick around. Thank you so much for tuning in. Sending you lots and lots of love from Salt Lake City, Utah. Until next time, bye!